You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We primarily focus on Kentucky. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show! Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. Hello. Hi there. Hey, Hey, you all. Okay, this is our first topic show. I'm excited about it. Is everyone doing okay? You all are good? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, you guys just got back from a big trip out west. Sarah and I went to Portland, Oregon for the Geological Society of America annual meeting. It's our first in-person meeting, seeing people's faces in quite a while. Did you have a good time? It was a great time. I got the opportunity to give a talk on a data preservation project that we're doing in the water section on uh, water well forms that include lithology information as you drill down through the surface and see what rock layers you drill through. So I got to speak on that on Sunday and uh, followed by another one of our colleagues, Liz Adams, that also talked about some of our data preservation efforts here and got the opportunity to talk with folks from the Illinois Geological Survey and the Missouri Survey afterwards. So it was a really good, productive meeting. Yeah, I love GSAs, and I was there, gave a talk on some landslide stuff. The three of us have mentioned doing a podcast live from a GSA location, so I think that'd be fun in the future. But let's get on with today's topic, which is Red River Gorge. And we went back and forth on what what, what should be the first topical episode for the Big Blue Rock Pod. And I'm glad we all kind of came together on Red River Gorge because it it really is a unique intersection between geology, spectacular landscape, and culture that make it make it special. And you know, m- many people would argue that Red River Gorge is world famous. And I, I realize that's a big statement, but it's And a lot of that has to do with the climbing, the rock climbing in Red River Gorge. But in my opinion, and see what you all think about this, sometimes it seems like Red River Gorge takes a back seat, at least in Kentucky, to some of the other parks we have. I mean, Mammoth Cave is obviously very famous, and we have some other parks, and we have a great state park system. But the gorge seems to kind of not get the attention perhaps it deserves. So we're going to talk about that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it depends where you live, obviously. But yeah, but yeah, from out of state, um, unless you're a climber, I think people gravitate towards Mammoth Cave or the other state parks. But um, it certainly gets a lot of visitors. I mean, especially this past summer, I think it got definitely recognized. But yeah, I'm not probably as well known as, as, say, Mammoth Cave or. Yeah. So. It's a really beautiful place. I think it really epitomizes the uniqueness of Kentucky geology and landscape and, and what we are going to be talking about uh, for many episodes, hopefully to come on this podcast. So we're going to properly introduce Red River Gorge and talk about some nitty gritty details. But I first wanted to introduce our guest. We have a guest, our first ever guest on the Big Blue Rock Pod. And it's Matt Massey. Matt's a geologist with the geologic mapping section here at the survey. Hey, Matt, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about 
what you do. Uh, sure. Yeah. Thanks, Matt and Doug and Sarah for having me on. Uh, so as you said, I'm a geologist. Uh, I received my undergraduate degree at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. And then I came up here to Lexington and got my master's at the University of Kentucky. And apparently I liked it so well, I stayed for a PhD. During that time, I studied basically the deep crustal roots of the Appalachian Mountains in the Southern Appalachians in North Carolina for my master's. And then I moved further north to the Northern Appalachians in Massachusetts and Connecticut for my PhD. Since then, I've been a mapping geologist at the Massachusetts Geological Survey. Then I came back to Lexington and did a postdoc here at UK, and then started here at KGS uh, a little over five years ago, also doing mapping. Although now I'm looking at surficial deposits mostly, so the unconsolidated sediments on the surface above bedrock, uh, which is basically the complete opposite of everything I studied in school, but I uh, find it pretty interesting. I, I guess I really like the relationship between surficial deposits and topography. So yeah, that's where I'm at. As far as the gorge goes, I've been a long time rock climber, so I've spent a lot of time down there, not really doing any geology work, but actually that was a huge reason like why I even came to school here to begin with. Maybe not the best decision for education, but it worked out well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of exactly the reason we wanted to have you on. You're, you're an experienced geologist, experienced mapper, but the climbing angle has really interested me, and I know you're a very good climber, so we felt that would uh, fit in great in this in this discussion. So thanks for being here. So let's talk about Red River Gorge. Red River Gorge was established in 1974, a federally designated national geological area, part of the Danube Boone National Forest. In 1976, it was designated a national natural landmark. In 2003, it was designated as a National Archaeological District and is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Uh, the part of the Red River that runs through the area is designated a National Scenic River by the U.S. Congress. And I was Googling other formally designated national geological areas, and I yeah, I, was kinda, I couldn't find a specific list. I was kind of curious about this. I mean, I remember first seeing it and thinking there might be one in the Uinta Mountains in Utah that I think I've been through. But as far as other geologic areas, it seems pretty. Yeah, you drive down the mountain unique. parkway. Yeah, you drive <laughs> down the mountain parkway. You see the big sign, National Geological Area. It's on the yeah. sign. Yeah, the gorge, I think, is. And I don't know the whole history, and I probably should have done more research on this, but it was going to be dammed back in the 70s or maybe late 60s, and that was stopped. And so maybe this has some play into that when it was 
either maybe it was after after that happened that they designated it, but um, right, it, it could have been it could have been a big lake. Right. Imagine it all being underwater and not having that amazing landscape. Now that you mentioned that, there is actually a phenomenal art exhibit, and I think it's still going on, at the Art Museum in Louisville, and it was actually a collaboration between a photographer, whose name I can't pull off the top of my head, and Wendell Berry, who did poetry, to go along with the photography, and because of that, they put together this book, which is actually what stopped the damming, and I believe maybe even the president at the time, they, they, they brought people in to see the place and that's what stopped this damming project yeah so you can't be doing this yeah Mm -hmm. red river gorge is located in powell wolf and menifee counties kentucky the town of slade being the centrally located populated place always an interesting intersection there off the mountain parkway in slade the gorge is adjacent to natural bridge state park one of kentucky's most popular state parks we may get into a little bit of of Natural Bridge as we go through here. Let's talk about the geology and structural geology here. Physiographically, the gorge lies along the western margin of what we call the Appalachian Basin. Uh, Some people call it the Cumberland Plateau. In Kentucky, it's the Kentucky portion is also sometimes called the Eastern Kentucky Coalfield. Structurally, when I say structurally, I mean geologic structures. The Red River Gorge lies on the eastern flank of what we call the Cincinnati Arch, a broad regional anticline. An anticline is a gentle A-shaped fold in rocks. Along the crest of the arch, Ordovician through Mississippian rocks are exposed. On the eastern flank of the arch, Mississippian carbonates dip slightly to the southeast toward the eastern Kentucky coalfield and Appalachian Basin, which helps to expose the Pennsylvanian age rocks that make up the uniqueness of Red River Gorge. The Pennsylvanian rocks exposed here are thick, resistant sandstones and conglomerates. Uh, Some people call them conglomeratic sandstones. They characterize the rugged and dissected landscape of the gorge and really the entirety of the Cumberland Escarpment. So the western boundary of the basin or, or plateau. And so this is characterized by steep rock cliffs, walls, arches, natural bridges, rock shelters, waterfalls, a diverse vegetation, and lots of other features. The Red River cuts through these rocks, and there's some fault influence with how the rocks are exposed and how thick they are and things like that. The the Red River we can maybe get into this, but you know, it's interesting to think about the Red River cutting through these really resistant rocks and how that happened and how long it took to generate the landscape that we see. So we're going to get into a little bit of detail here on these rocks and how they came to be. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not the expert stratigrapher at KGS, but I'm familiar with a little bit of the stratigraphy and and we have some really good publications on our website at kgs.uky.edu, and you can go to our publications and just search for Red River, and, and some of these come up. There's a couple of good guidebooks, um, geologic guidebooks about both the uh, gorge and then the state park that's adjacent to the gorge, the um, Natural Bridge State Park. 
uh, that explains explains a lot of these things. But yeah, the stratigraphy um, or the the way the rocks lie, um, most of the rocks in Kentucky are fairly flat lying rocks with the oldest at the bottom. And then as you go up in topography, say if you're at the bottom of the hill and then you go up, you're you're going to younger and younger rocks. And so I'll start at the top because that's the part that I think everybody identifies the gorge with. And this is a, a rock unit called this Corbin sandstone. It's Pennsylvanian in age. It's the same age as um, a lot of the coal field in Kentucky, although it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit lower than, than a lot of the coal beds, but 320 ish um, million years yeah, old. Yeah. 300. Yeah. Something along those lines, give or take, give or take. Um, but the Corbin sandstone is this reddish uh, sandstone. It's very prominent in the gorge. It's what it's what everybody identifies the gorge with. It ranges from 100 to almost 300 feet thick in places, just depending on where you are. And we can talk about the changes in thickness. It's actually kind of interesting. But it's a sandstone, but also a conglomerate. And conglomerate with these little pebbles. Quartz, quartz pebbles, yeah. Quartz pebbles that make up the, the rock unit. But the Corbin is the big cliff formers. And then below the, the Corbin is a, a unit called the Grundy Formation. And you don't really see this anywhere except you probably walk on it as you're going up a hill. Um, so we're going down the hill, basically. And it's also Pennsylvanian, and it's um, shale, siltstone, coal. Again, you don't see it much. It's vegeta- highly vegetated, but... Below that, you, you actually cross what's called a nonconformity where there's been erosion um, between the rocks above and the rocks below. And so we're going below the Pennsylvanian rocks into what's called the Mississippian rocks, which are older. And Mississippian rocks in Kentucky are a lot of limestone in the Mississippian rocks. And um, famously, Mammoth Cave is in Mississippian rocks. But below the the Grundy Formation in East Pennsylvania are other formations. One's called the Slade Formation. And it's kind of, a, you might see this in cliff-forming limestones in the gorge area. At Natural Bridge, there's a, there's a nice little cliff face with a cave going through it um, in the Slade Formation. And then there's a, a couple other parts of that formation, um, something called the Tigert's Creek member, the Warwick's Run member, uh, St. Genevieve member. And they're all limestones of different characters. Some of them have a lot of fossils in them. Some of them have these cool trace fossils that you can find. And then below that is another limestone unit called the Nada or Nada member. Oh, you better um, get it right. I know. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's a greenish gray shale. Again, slopes. You'll see it on slopes and um, in the valleys. And interestingly, it's got two members. One is called the cowbell, and it makes typically steep little valleys. And then the other member is called the Nancy member, and it it makes wider valleys. And the Nancy member has um, really cool trace fossils in it called zoophycus. I love trace fossils. Zoophycus is evidence of something milling about in the mud on the tidal flat floor. It's fascinating. Yeah, Yeah, and that's, that's a good segue to the environment of depositions, which... I want to ask Matt, though, real quick, what, what do climbers think of the Corbin? Do they, do they know Corbin sandstone, or they, they, do, they, do they just know resistant, strong sandstone? 
Um, yeah, I think pretty much every climber that goes to the gorge probably knows the name Corbin Sandstone. They're kind of all familiar with the different aspects of the Corbin Sandstone, like it is characterized by really steep or overhanging faces. It has a lot of pockets, so the weathering, the Tifoni weathering, produces a lot of pockets. That's really unique about the gorge. And what kind of weathering is Tifoni weathering? Um, is that what, wind? Is that like, wind? oh. I think that is it. Like what, how it forms? Yeah, like what forms those pockets? Is it mostly wind action that creates? I want to say it's like a combination of kind of physical weathering, like wind and just rock fall, like the cliff falling down basically. And then also chemical weathering. So I think there's an aspect of that. Interesting. Is it sometimes called honeycomb weathering? Yeah, I think it can be broken down into like a ton of different names. Like geologists really love their formal names for every single thing. So yeah, I think it can be broken down into a lot of different classifications, but I'm not familiar. And I, I think I think there's a there's a component of differential cementation amongst the grains themselves. So just these pockets of the quartz grains in the sandstone are less well cemented and competent than than other parts of the rock. So you get this honeycomb style weathering when those weaker parts erode and go away. But yeah, that leads us to the environments of deposition. That's a fascinating kind of topic in geology, especially when we talk about sedimentary rocks, right? What, what was the environment like when these, what are now rocks, were, were deposited somewhere? Just thinking about the Appalachians being built to the east at this time. So the Appalachians are really old and these rocks were being deposited 340 million years ago, like kind of the lower Mississippian rocks that we were talking about. So the Appalachians are coming up at that time. And that that's actually the rocks I was studying in my PhD in the Northern Appalachians at that time, looking at kind of the Appalachians themselves. But as those the Appalachian Mountains were growing up, the sediments on those mountains were being eroded off and kind of deposited to the west right. into this big inland sea at that time. Yes, what well, was a basin at the time and now it's filled with sedimentary rocks. So a modern day example would be like your Himalayan mountains where you've got your Indian plate meeting your Asian plate and uh, all that sediment is deposited uh, in the basin below in India. Yeah, the big delta and then Indian Ocean, I guess. Yeah, you've got high energy streams coming off these uh, mountains that are being uplifted by tectonic forces. A high energy stream means it's going to be able to carry sand, gravel, cobbles, boulders, thing, things like that that ultimately get deposited into uh, a basin. And, and, you know, one of the big debates, I think, about the Corbin that's maybe still going on, but I think it's fairly well agreed upon that the Corbin sandstone is from river deposits, but I think there was this idea that they were beach barrier islands, um, similar to what you'd see off the coast of North Carolina, that sort of environment. But I think now it's 
pretty well established that they were fluvial or river deposits. You can imagine big, huge, braided rivers um, depositing a lot of sand, a lot of gravel, and the gravel would become the conglomerate. And then one of the features we didn't mention, haven't mentioned yet, is the cross bedding, which is very prominent throughout the whole gorge and the Corbin sandstone. And these are these waves of sand, basically. You can kind of imagine them being um, uh, big waveforms that have been cut off and they've been preserved and they, they, I don't know how you just, it's yeah, you easier imagine, with a picture, but you know. You can like, imagine a giant ripple in a stream yeah. where you've got sort of angled quartz pebbles and sand that's ultimately preserved in the, in the rock record, but it's just evidence of fluvial deposition and fluvial activity. So these weren't, I guess is a question, these weren't above water sand dunes that are preserved. These cross beds are from being underwater and from water movement or were they above, you know, exposed to the air and were sand dunes that have been preserved? I think, I mean, I don't know the answer to that question, but. Um, I always thought it was subaqueous, sub-aqueous. features, but, but they're so big. I mean, so you can get small cross beds. So the cross section is small, like a ripple in a creek, but the ones at the gorge are, they're really big and you okay, can, you know, yeah. f- trace them across an entire cliff face. I always thought it was subaqueous process, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I know the ones out West, you know, the big sandstones at places like Utah and, and Utah, those are, I think from sand dunes, you know, they're interpreted to be above, you know, above yeah. water sand dunes basically right. um, versus being formed underwater, but I'm not sure about the gorge. I think sedimentologists can tell the difference just based on like the geometry of the cross beds, like yeah. Yeah. Which way the different environments going. will produce yeah. different geometries, although they're still both considered cross beds. But just yeah, gen- think, generally speaking it, they're beautiful features. I mean, they're, they're oh, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, cool to look at and they're very prominent in the gorge and they're just really pretty. But it's, yeah, it's neat to stand there and look at a cliff face and imagine, you know, this big yeah. uh, river system kind of coming through. So all the sand and pebbles that you see that make up the rocks in the Red River Gorge came from the Appalachian Mountains as they were eroding down. And so the Appalachian Mountains were much taller in the past than they are now. They've been quite eroded. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, they were really tall. And actually, they had glaciers at that time. Like, we see evidence for glacial erosion and glaciers coming down and floating off into the sea to the west of the Appalachians. So, yeah, they were really tall. Wow. And and not only were they really tall, but it happened several times. We have evidence of at least three episodes of these mountains being built up, denuded and eroded, built up again. That's incredible. Um, a couple other features that are worth mentioning, sedimentary rock features, are the graded bedding, which is also a, is it a, is graded bedding a fluvial feature? It's where, it's where you have the coarse grains. If you're looking at a rock face, say the coarse grains at the bottom, and they become finer as you go to the top. So pebbles, sand, silt, clay, and then it kind of repeats. Pebbles, sand, silt, clay. And that's that's called graded bedding. And you get that from 
I think fluvial activity, but also perhaps like soft sediment deformation kind of activity moving around of, of this stuff as it was being deposited. Well, I think, yeah, the heavier stuff settles out of the water column. Yes. Heavier, and then it gets lighter as you go yeah. up the water column. Whereas yeah. sand dunes, I believe, are the opposite, and that's how you can tell the difference between the wind deposition versus the water deposition. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks, Sarah. Photography <laughs> class. Thank you, Mike McGlue. <laughs> and then the last, not the last, but another prominent feature we should talk about is Lisa Gang banding. Oh, yeah. Uh, these are these, uh, you get asked about it all the time if, you, if you're if you a geologist and you hike with people in the in gorge. The gorge. Yeah. Um, but it's this banding that you'll see of it's concentrated iron and I think magnesium. They're super prominent, obvious features. They look like random bands in the cliff face or on the, you know, on a surface. But they're they're formed by water coming through the the sandstone, picking up iron and magnesium, and then depositing that concentrated amount of minerals in the in the rock and. They actually have sort of a circular pattern if you look at them closely, I, I think resembling sort of a pipe with the you know water coming through. And then that's been eroded. And so you have these cool kind of circular patterns. Oh, yeah. They're beautiful. I mean, that looked like a lot of places of swirling bands. Right. Yeah. Of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, we we would be remiss not to talk about arches, right? Um, which could be a whole, which would probably be a whole nother podcast, but uh, there's a lot of arches in the gorge. Yeah, we, we definitely will do a separate episode on, on arches in Kentucky. But the fact that what I had written down was over 150 arches in Red River Gorge. And so that, that perhaps is a conservative number. We're going to have to get an expert on arches in here, but because there's a lot of private property that intersects the gorge. So we don't maybe have a full handle on how many there actually are. It's but, a lot of arches. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky has the most arches east of the Mississippi. Yeah. Um, you know, we were right up there with Utah with the number of arches. It's just you know, a lot of vegetation, a lot of private land. So some of them are hard to find and see, but you know, these are these rock columns that, um, you can walk completely under or crawl completely under. Um, not a cave because they're narrow and they're usually sandstone, but there are limestone arches in the state. But um, there's a lot of them in the in the gorge because the Corbin sandstone makes up the ridges and then the ridges have been eroded back to the center and then they get eroded under and then it leaves an arch. That's just one type of arch, but there's an arch that goes over a creek. There's yeah. arches that are on the side of a cliff. There's all kinds of arches. But the fra- the fractured Corbin helps facilitate arch formation too. Right. Yeah. yeah. They fracture back to the you know ridge line in many cases, and then and then it creates these kind of alcoves, and then those alcoves underneath the sandstone get eroded out until they meet um, under the ridge line, and then and then you have your arch, and then from there it's Erosion still does its work, but the arch still maintains because it's, it's actually pretty strong. There are individuals and organizations that go out and document these arches. And right now for Kentucky, the number that they have listed is 2,209 arches documented in the state of Kentucky. So that's 
pretty phenomenal. That's a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Especially great, considering, yeah. like you said, that there could be that much more out there. Yeah. We, we, we will definitely do an episode on arches. And I think we should do an episode on Big South Fork because that, some of that gets into Kentucky and I'm, there's a lot of arches down there, too. It's a fascinating park. Anything else on the geology? No, I mean, we, we haven't talked much about the Red River, but it's an important river that, you know, cuts through all of this and has cut down into making the gorge. And I, you know, the topography of the gorge is actually pretty high. And this is something we've discussed before, but, you know, these, these are old mountains. We, the Appalachians are very old. They're, you know, at least 300 million years old, but the topography is still pretty high. And I think part of that's because we started out with really big mountains and a lot of sediments deposited. But I think there's other reasons why the gorge is, is high. And, and part of it's the Red River cutting down through these sediments. Um, yeah, I think, I think there is an element of the sea level rise and fall over millions of years. So when you have sea level rise and fall, your surface water has to adjust to those different base levels over time. So it allows surface water to cut down further when you have a lower base level. And once the Red River, say, gets through the resistant sandstone, the Corbin and Grundy, it's you know eating through the softer limestones below much easier and um, helping to shape the, the dissected landscape and cliffs that we see today. I think there's also an element of what's called isostatic rebound. As the Appalachians were being built to the east and those sediments were shed off really quick, like that was a really quick, really big load to put on the Earth's surface to the west. And so that caused the lithosphere of the Earth to warp a little bit. And then as those mountains weren't being formed anymore, uh, that lithosphere gradually started to rebound over time. So you get uplift of the sediments, the streams are still cutting down. Yeah, there's a combination of there's stuff There's a lot there. of different yeah. things going on. Yeah. But it's a good recreational river. You can paddle on it and fish on it. Yeah. Um, and that probably segues. Yeah, we're, we're, nearing, we're nearing the end here, but we wanted to touch on some of the cultural things in and around Red River Gorge. But yeah, it goes without saying that the gorge is fantastic for boating, hiking. We mentioned the climbing. I mean, the climbing, it's so, I'm not a climber, but it's so, so cool to just know that this place in Kentucky is really world famous for rock climbing. Massey, do you want to say anything about just the sort of the worldwide recognition of this for climbing? Yeah, definitely. Like, in the fall and spring, when the the weather's cooler, it's usually drier. It's kind of the prime time for climbing. So right now, basically until December-ish, like, it'll be super crowded. There'll be people there from all over the world. Actually, I don't know if there are now just because of COVID. I don't know what travel yeah. restrictions are like. Oh, from around the world. Yeah. 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 Um, but normally, yeah, like, pretty much... Most countries you can think of, you'll see people from there. That's great. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, you should be out there today. It's really nice out. <laughs> um, <I> should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I wore a, I don't know, I have this Red River Gorge t-shirt and I was in Wyoming and this woman was, oh man, I climbed there. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I just have the t-shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see it in climbing magazines and I mean, it's all. Yeah. Another, not a cultural feature necessarily that we didn't mention is the, the Nada Tunnel or Nada Tunnel perhaps. But it's kind of an iconic feature in the park, uh, a 900-foot-long one-lane tunnel that goes through the lower portion of the Corbin Sandstone. So you can drive your car through the Nada Tunnel, um, and it's it's pretty cool. It's kind of like the entryway into the inner or ride part a bike. of it. Oh, yes. ride a bike there. <laughs> There's also a lot of uh, police stops at that location, just so you know. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Pro tip. But one... Maybe this can be our last thing here, but something that's on the horizon perhaps for Red River Gorge is plans for a new resort. And this has been in the papers and uh, news in Kentucky over the last year, but there are plans for a $135 million resort in Slade. So at the Slade exit interchange. There's plans for a five-story hotel, a pool, an amphitheater, restaurant, distillery, and all kinds of stuff that goes with resorts. As you can imagine, it's going to polarize folks with how they feel about the gorge and what it should be and what should be good for the area. And I don't think we'll take a position here, but it's sort of interesting to think about something like that being there because... I think we all think about the gorge as being this kind of old school park. I mean, it, there's there's not a lot to it. It's not too huge, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's naturally just pristine and phenomenal. And so adding something like that, what would that do? I know that the Forest Service is already struggling with the increase in visitation that's occurred since uh, in, in the last couple of years, I think, but especially since COVID has really driven people outside and and away from indoor spaces. And I think some of the actions that they've already taken is to look at revising their backcountry camping. So in most forests, national forests across the country, you can camp anywhere within a certain distance of a trail. Instead of having that as a policy, they've revised that to make camping in only designated areas because it has been so visited and, and overrun. So. I'm sure adding a resort as well may, I mean, maybe that'll reduce some of your campers, but it'll also bring more accessibility to the area. And so all those things are, are certainly things to consider. It is a beautiful area. We've talked about the arches, but there's also a phenomenal number of beautiful waterfalls. I usually go there in the spring for the wildflowers. There's fantastic wildflowers and um, great wildlife habitat. There's a lot of rare, rare species, I believe, even of different types there. So there's a lot of different things to consider there with the new found sort of popularity and, and new people discovering this beautiful place. Another cultural icon we really should mention is Miguel's Pizza. Oh, yeah. And, sure. you know, you see the bumper stickers for Miguel's Pizza on cars all over the place in Kentucky. And uh, it's, it's a pizza place off of Kentucky 11, just past Natural Bridge, right? Right, yeah, it's right up the road. And it's a big spot where he's got a big yard in the back of the pizza place where a lot of climbers will camp and stay there. 
actually, he's got an awesome basketball court there, which <laughs> I, find, I find a delight. But it's just uh, the pizza's good. It's jam-packed all the time, and it's just kind of a, a hot spot in, in the area. Do you, do you know Miguel, Matt? Uh, yeah, I do know Miguel. I've known him for a long time. Uh, him and his wife Susan and his kids, all three kids that are grown up. Yeah, it's just a big meeting place for climbers. Like that's where pretty much every climber is going to be camping. Although there's a lot more campgrounds now, so I guess it's a little more spread out. But that's the main hub, I guess. Yeah. And that's where most uh, in the climbing world, that's where people are going to know the place that they're going to know. And you'll see T-shirts from Miguel's, like you said, like all over the country. Yeah. T-shirts, bumper stickers. Also, they have the best ordering system ever because you felt this little sheet of paper, little check boxes, and then give them to the person. It's very efficient. So you might see a line out the door, but don't be intimidated. It goes, it goes pretty yeah. quick. And then they must turn over a ton of pizzas. I'd love to know how many pizzas they've made. But He's expanded it, I want to say, in the last five yeah. years. I mean, it's not a huge building right but it, it was tiny now he's kind of added on a little bit he's um, expanded like a number of times over the years um it used to be started out originally as just an ice cream place i believe and it was basically just a shack like i think the door is still original and the original building is still there but it's been added on to quite a few times my my brush with Miguel, he called me one time about a landslide, and I don't think I can reveal where, where it was, but I felt very honored and uh, excited when Miguel called me about, and he was asking about a landslide, so I helped him out with that. That was, that was cool. Is he a climber? Is that why he was drawn to the area? As, do you see him out on the cliff faces? Uh, he may have climbed a few times. I don't think that was his thing. From what I understand, a friend invited him to come visit a long time ago when he was young, who lived basically right where Miguel's is now, and Miguel really enjoyed the area and moved down and started the pizza empire that we now know as Miguel's. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And it used to be, I think, pretty much the only thing there, that in the state park, but there's a lot of other things that have grown up along that route particularly. but So it'll be interesting about all this development that may or may right. not occur and right. the effect on the area. And it's an exciting time for the gorge, I think. Yeah. But. So another thing, we, another thing we should talk about are some of the hazards related to Red River Gorge. And one thing that's been in the news lately and caused a a big to-do was a sinkhole that opened up on the Mountain Parkway. And it closed down the road for several months. Traffic was rerouted. It was a big headache for people visiting the park. But we mentioned the limestone that's beneath the Corbin sandstone. And when you have that type of sedimentary rock, the limestone, it, in places that can be dissolved by groundwater and creates void spaces like caves and other rooms beneath the surface and those can become unstable and that's what happened right below one lane of the mountain parkway and it it collapsed so it was closed for a while so you don't really think about karst hazards in red river gorge but but they're there 
And then another another hazard that certainly comes to mind when talking about cliffs in the Red River Gorge are rockfall hazards. And you don't hear too much about about them, but they certainly exist because you have you have a lot of cabins and uh, people and trails and below these steep cliffs. And over geologic time, big rocks have fallen off these cliffs before, and so it's. It's just something to keep in keep in mind as you're as you're hiking or staying in the gorge of these large cliffs that can produce rockfalls, which is a, a type of landslide. I mean, as we said, the the arches are formed by eroding <laughs> back to the the ridge lines of these big sandstones. So those blocks have to go somewhere. Yeah, and you do see those blocks like hiking at the base of the cliffs. You'll see these gigantic blocks of Corbin sandstone that are now you know, covered in moss or something in the middle of the woods, and they look really nice and pretty, but at one point they fell off and rolled downhill. So, yeah, they were up there. <laughs> there's definitely the potential to. Are those good for bouldering that? Uh, <laughs> some would say so, but no, not yeah. really. No. Like, there's interesting scientific questions regarding those, right? How often it happens, um, how fast did it, did it happen, the detachment from a cliff, say, but. And those are interesting, but but really there there is a, a significant rockfall hazard that should be thought about as you go through the park. And then maybe lastly is just generally the the safety people should exercise at Red River Gorge. We're talking about steep cliffs and and arches and natural bridges, and every year there are people who are probably a little bit too aggressive with how they hike and fall off these cliffs, fall off the arches, and can die or seriously hurt themselves. And so you really need to be careful when you hike through Red River Gorge because if you're not careful, it can be a dangerous place. Especially at night if you're backpacking, camping, and walking around. (laughs) Yeah, the story of the little boy who thankfully was only slightly injured, but he he fell quite a distance down a... That's crazy. Pretty recently. Yeah, Um, four-year-old. Four-year-old. Just the other day. But... He was fine. So, but yeah, it's a very, you know, it's a wild, cliffy place that doesn't have handrails and right. a whole lot of danger signage and, and yeah. that sort of thing. So, so we don't want to leave on a negative note too much, but, but <laughs> <laughs> the gorge is a spectacular place. It's, it's, it's fascinating geology and landscape and culture, and everyone should go. Thank you all for talking. Oh, did you want to say something? I was going to ask if if Matt had any climbing stories he'd like to oh. share or just maybe nothing sciencey or geology related, uh, but. I'm not sure there's any appropriate that come to mind for a podcast, but. What's the hardest route you've climbed? Oh, good question. There at the. That's also something I would be embarrassed about with my uh, climbing friends. Oh, okay. well, we don't um, I would just say like the Red River Gorge is really a unique climbing destination like in the entire world. Like just the angle of the rock and the consistent steepness and the nature of the holds themselves uh, is just super unique. Like you don't see that anywhere else in the world and you get a massive amount of people which is good for the local economy, but also can cause a big impact. And that's something the climbing community is actively trying to address. But 
you know, with any group of people that helps one group of people hurts another thing. So, right. Is there a designated area for climbing? Can you climb anywhere in the gorge? Can you set routes anywhere? How does that work? Yeah, you can climb anywhere in the Red River Gorge. Um, the climbing actually goes outside of the Red River Gorge. So it includes the Red River Gorge, part of the Big Clifty Wilderness, Natural Bridge area, and then further south into kind of privately owned areas and then some Forest Service land. As far as putting up new routes, like I think that's a little touchy, sensitive maybe, so, and I don't know the answers to that, the official answers, so I'm gonna shy away from that one, <laughs> but. Well, great. Um, this has been a fantastic discussion. I mean, I'm, I'm glad this was kind of our first topic on the Big Blue Rock Pod. It's it's so so interesting and I thank you all for, for participating in this discussion. Thanks, yeah. Matt, for being a guest. Yeah. We'll see you next time on the Big Blue Rock Pod. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Ben Corwin and Alicia Gregory at UK's Office of Research Communications for technical support. If you have any ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>